O God, you declare your almighty power chiefly in showing mercy and pity. Grant us the fullness of your grace that we, running to obtain your promises, may become partakers of your heavenly treasure. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Well, have you, uh, have you ever tried to help someone who didn't seem to appreciate your help? They weren't grateful at all. Perhaps you felt like they were taking advantage of your kindness, even. As we're going through our series through Luke, uh, and we've t- entitled it that you may know the truth, because that's what Luke is saying to the one to whom he is writing. He writes this, and he's saying, I'm writing all this so that you may know the truth. As we're doing that, we've uh, just covered a section that, that brought clarity to our walk in faith of what discipleship looks like. Um, we saw that when a disciple is walking with Christ, he will encounter sin, and then he must be faithful in duty. So as the text moves on and the scene changes, um, and Jesus is heading to Jerusalem still. He's been on his way for some time, but evidently he must be getting closer. Um, we come to this passage about the lepers, and we see that a disciple is to be grateful. So another mark of a true disciple is that of gratitude. We talked on Wednesday night um, in Life Group about our relationship to Rwanda and why we like Rwanda, why we're connected to Rwanda. Um, My ordination is still in Rwanda. I'm actually a Rwandan clergy on mission to my hometown of Parkersburg, West Virginia. I think the story in itself is pretty neat, and we had the option when we became a diocese to change our ordination uh, or our orders so that we could be fully resident in the Anglican Church of North America in the Diocese of Christ Our Hope. They offered that to us, and I was like, yeah, no, I'll just stick with uh, Rwanda because that's where I started, and I'll just stick with that. And I thought that uh, later, not long ago, Ryan and I were at a meeting and uh, that conversation came up and we were talking with one of the canons to the bishop, a, an assistant to the bishop, uh, who is over le- uh, leadership training, leadership development. And he, we had that conversation about switching. He was surprised to know that I didn't switch, but he did, of course, because most everybody switched. And I said, but already, if you said you're an Anglican, I mean, a, a Rwandan clergy, you're already more interesting to talk to. He said, well, that's true. But in our conversation about our connection, we talked about how Quig at Roanoke in Church of the Holy Spirit in Roanoke, Virginia, was stripped of his credentials and was the church was booted out of the Episcopal Diocese of Virginia. And at that same time, and, th- and this and this goes for uh, because people were holding to the truth. This church wanted to hold to the truth, and they didn't want to go the way of the world, which is the way the church was going. And so they had significant differences with their bishop, who. Uh, would sit on Planned Parenthood's board. He uh, marched in uh, pride parades in the city of Roanoke and a few other things. And they're like, we're all about life and we, we want to have our people adopt uh, children and so on. So we're, we're conflicted with where the church is headed and we don't want to give up our funds to that. So with that, they put the pressure on them and, and essentially kicked them out of the Episcopal Diocese of Virginia. And at that same time, Rwanda and Southeast Asia stepped in and offered help and offered oversight. And they said, you, 
and, and the church, Quig himself and the church, wanted to be people under authority. They just wanted to be under godly authority. And so, uh, with Rwanda and Southeast Asia offering that authority, then they had great comfort that they could stay connected to the worldwide Anglican communion and still be under authority. They weren't totally rogue, independent, autonomous churches. That's that I, I, that story where they did this, Rwandans did this, uh, out of great cost to them. They suffered greatly because then the uh, church, that uh, the Episcopal Church, which kicked Holy Spirit out, then was aggravated, and so they quit sending funds to Rwanda. So those people who knew what persecution is like, and we talked about the genocide the week before, those people know what persecution is like, yet they stood with us to offer us oversight and give us protection and, and give us godly counsel as we were uh, being formed and shaped into something new. Well, with our perspective, limited by or, or mired by our fallenness or sinful nature, um, which which is kind of key to understand that we are we're, we're broken from the get go. We we're we're really not born perfect, and then we learn sin from those around us, which is a popular notion. But we're already broken when we enter the world. The whole human race is broken. The world we live in, the physical world, is broken, and it is we are living under a curse. That's what that's what Genesis three tells us. But with that, our vision is so limited that we can be easily, too easily, satisfied with earthly pleasures as opposed to seeking kingdom good. We'll seek earthly pleasures, and then we may not give God the gratitude that he deserves. We may not feel a deep sense of gratitude for what he's done for us, for like, well, eternal salvation, for instance. So we're going to look at a, a uh, first off, this plea for... Um, intervention. Let's look in uh, verse 11. It says, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, these lepers stood at a distance because they were unclean and they had been separated from the general public. This was this was the procedure. This is what they were to do. They were also not allowed to be in the temple because they were unclean. Their skin was diseased and scaly and like fallen off. They were tormented with pain. They were frail shadows of their original selves. So they were in desperation. They were in a desperate need to be healed. They were desperate to belong. They were desperate to belong back inside the city limits outside, as opposed to living, having to live outside the city walls. They were, they were desperate to live among the people. They were desperate to be reunited with their family. They were desperate to get to worship again. They were simply desperate to live life as normal again. So in their desperation... They called out for Jesus to heal them. And he heard them, took pity on them, and healed them. But this was a bit of a different story than some we've seen before. They had to step out in faith 
I'm, I'm, re- I'm reminded of the priests carrying the ark crossing the Jordan River, and they had to step in before the water would stop. As it was, it was a flood stage, and they were to, but they were to express faith by stepping in, and when they would step in, the water ceased and made it dry for them to cross. In this case, these folks had to step out in faith. They had to walk in obedience before they saw their restoration. Now, they were already proclaimed healed, and they were already healed, but they had to walk in it before they, that realization came. It says that he said, go show yourselves to the priest. They were to trust God's word. They were to trust Jesus' words while their skin was still scaly and fallen off. And then they were to head to the temple to show themselves to the priest so that the priest could verify that they had been healed and that they were cleansed and clean and being restored. Now this seems to be a very impressive act of faith by those whole ten because they turned and went. They 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 heard his word and they turned and went toward the priests. And it says, and as they went, they were cleansed. That's how we know where they went. Can you blame them for acting quickly and heading toward the priests? I'd have done the same, it seems like. You're, you're finally, my healing has come. Let's not dilly-dally around here. Let's get to the priests and get on with life and get on with this rest- restoration that has been given to me. So with the ten and this total of their cleansing, and they're even acting in obedience in this initial stage, how often do you call out to God for help in times of desperation? What is it you call out to God for? What help do you seek from the Lord? How earnest is your plea? Are you looking to simply have your discomforts your earthly discomforts removed? Or are you really desperately seeking Him, His will, and expecting to be changed in the midst of your difficult circumstances? Are you viewing that that in my plea, in the midst of my trials, in the midst of my desperation, are you asking the Lord to shape and form you by these hard things in life? Or are you simply asking for pain relief? We frequently want our temporal suffering to end. And then we can see no further than that. And I think, given the ten, I think we're too easily pleased. I think we are, as C.S. Lewis would say, we are far too easily pleased. Let's look at uh, satisfaction with earthly pleasures. Verse 15. It says, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? You see, the nine were healed, but they were satisfied to receive a physical healing, and they were blessed because of it. They were like us. We are far too easily pleased. Our perspective is clouded by our temporal world and earthly pleasures. We are too consumed by our earthly pleasures and our earthly existence to recognize frequently the good he has in store for us in the long run. 
So have, have you ever yourself received a blessing from the Lord and taken it for granted in that it didn't shape or form you or transform the way you walk with him at all? Are you, are you satisfied to receive an answer to your prayer without devotion to him? This is where they were. So C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory describes our lack of appreciation for what the Lord has in store for us because of our preoccupation with the here and now, the temporal, the earthly pleasures. He says, if we consider the unblushing promise of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. I I love the quote, but it sure is convicting. If I'm pleasant, if, if things are pleasant in my life in the here and now, I think things are good. And, and, and frequently in our spiritual realities, we're always wanting the mountaintop experience. And if we've had a, a mountaintop experience, we want to see that again and again and again and again. But the reality is we're not transformed at the mountaintop experiences. We're transformed in the crucible down in the valley when things are tough. That's when it's difficult on your faith. That's when your faith is tested to see, will I trust the Lord in the midst of my circumstances, many of which I may have created myself. Will I trust the Lord to shape and form me in that, as opposed to just removing me from my circumstances? That's one of the, for you folks who are parents, it's one of the issues we, we, we want to save our children from pain and suffering. So we scoop in and rescue, and then we can become older parents. And if we're not careful, we become helicopter parents who hover near the children to save them from any kind of error, to save them from falling and scraping their knees at 24, 5, 30 years old. And we're not formed and shaped by making our own ignorant choices. I was on a a scouting trip one time with some... There was a little boy at church when we were in Virginia whose dad had died, and I went to a scout trip with him and hadn't been in scouts since I was a kid. Greg and I were in the same scout troop. He has a picture of it. <laughs> he, he tells me these things, and I'm like, I have no idea who you are, Greg. But, you know, when you're kids and you're five years apart, that's like a lifetime. Um, and, and he's younger than me. If, if, if I think he looks it, too. But I hadn't been involved with scouts forever. And then I went with my buddy, and, uh, and in it, there were other dads along with their, with their boys. Well, it was time for eating. It was time for the dinner. And and everybody knew what the deal was. And I forget if they rang a dinner bell or something like that. And you had to be within earshot of that dinner bell. And you knew it was time to come. And there was a certain procedure you had to get back to your patrol, your whatever, your troop and your patrol. And then you were going to go as as the group to uh, the mess hall. And and things had improved from my years. They, They had a mess hall. And you just went and got it. You didn't have to actually fix your food. I was like, this is amazing. Those boys were preoccupied with fishing. And so the bell's ringing. Now we're all up t- toward the mess hall. This this one dad says, "Where's whatever that boy's name was, Ed or Eddie or something?" He said, "I'm I, I I I'll be back." So he runs and gets the kids from fishing, and saves them so that they can eat. 
I said, Ed, here's, here's a cranky old man who nobody's asked any opinion of. That's me. I offer it. I said, Ed, there's a, there was your grand opportunity for a safe failure. Hey, kid, what if he didn't get to eat? He won't die. And yet, you would have put the responsibility on him. He would have felt some oomph to his decisions. But Ed scooped in and saved that boy. Now, that was a long time ago. Ed may still be saving that boy. But that's too often what we want, and we want it for our children because we don't want to see them suffer. And I, and I've told you before, I'll tell you again, when I'm suffering, what I want is out. I want out of my suffering. But we're far too easily pleased is the conviction that Lewis brings to us. It's not that our desires are too strong, but they're too weak. Well, my desire, what's he talking about? It's, it's our desires for what the Lord has in store for us are too weak. My desires for what the Lord has in store for me in the midst of my suffering are way too weak. Because my, because my desires for the earthly relief of my suffering is too great. They go hand in hand here. What about you? Do you see evidence in your own life of being far too easily pleased? And that means with what the Lord has given you thus far. Next thing we see is profound gratitude. The scope is narrowing. We're no longer talking about the ten. We're talking about the one. 18 says, Was no one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? Well, the one who turned back had been among the ten who asked for help. He was among the ten as as Jesus pronounced that they were clean and healed. This is... This is the one who broke ranks with the gang and didn't go along with the crowd as they headed toward the priests. And again, when you're, if you can relate at all to that situation and you're told to go to the priests, maybe you should just go. How hard can I be on these nine? But this guy and that peer pressure thing, and it doesn't just stop when you're out of high school. It goes on forever. That's why we got to keep up with the Joneses. He didn't seem to be bothered by that. He turned, broke ranks with the guys, with, with the rest of the guys, turned back, he gave thanks to God, the, the Father, the first person of the Trinity, and then he fell at Jesus' feet and thanked the one who saved him, thanked the one who healed him. And evidently the others were Jews, and he was a Samaritan. And we've talked about this before, that the Jews and the Samaritans were enemies of each other, and neither one thought the other ones should exist, and the only thing that lacked was enough time to hate each other. They normally wouldn't have been in the same group, but these the infirmities of these lepers had brought them together in that community outside the city walls. The Samaritan, not the Jewish people, not the Jewish ten, nine, but the single Samaritan, who was not considered part of God's people. He was not considered fully Jewish, and he was not considered fully God's people by the Jews. He was, he was not only living outside the camp, he was not living, not only living outside the walls of the city, but he was also living his life in accord, and according to the Jewish people as one outside of God's people altogether, even before he had leprosy. Yet he's the one who turned to give thanks to the Lord. The alien, the foreigner, the one who was least expected turned. So Jesus in 19, it says, And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. 
Now, the Greek word for this word well, that has made you well, the Greek word for that is actually sozo, which is saved. So a literal translation would be rise and go, your faith has saved you. You see, he's gotten a deeper healing. The others were healed, but they missed out on this more significant blessing, this more significant healing. They traded the eternal blessing for the earthly blessing of being healed of their leprosy. This man was profoundly grateful for what he had received. He couldn't bring himself to directly go to the priest without first giving thanks to God, the one who healed him. He received salvation from God. His spiritual leprosy that had destroyed his hard heart had fallen away. In this move, he was not only healed of his leprosy, in this move by Jesus' proclamation, he was reconciled back to God, our Heavenly Father. His sins were completely forgiven. Alienation was gone. He was restored to a right relationship with his God. He was restored to the people of the community. He was restored to the, his family. And, and he was restored to the worshiping community. His leprosy was healed, but he received so much more. He had received eternal life. Kent Hughes writes, There are eternal lessons for us. And certainly we must understand that no one is saved by virtue of having a pleasant, optimistic, or thankful spirit. Jesus is not teaching salvation by disposition. But Jesus is teaching that where there is true faith, there are profoundly thankful hearts. How does your gratitude meter read? Do people know that you are thankful? Has anybody ever wondered why it is you're so happy? What it is that makes you so thankful all the time? The unregenerate do not give thanks to God. Paul writes in Romans 1.21, he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. And then he's, his prediction and understanding for the future is much the same. In these last days, Paul says that people will be turned in on themselves, being lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Second Timothy 3. Well, Quig has been an active uh, advocate for the needs in Rwanda since the since 1999-2000 time frame when they made themselves known to him by this gracious offer. He's brought to light to many the needs that are there, raised all kinds of money for the kingdom purposes there. He has, he operates with this deep deep sense of gratitude for what they did for him and for us because he's, he's he was part of a he was part of a larger thing that was happening there. It was intensely personal, and then it was for the church. But he wasn't the only church that was undergoing such stuff. And then it was it was it was years later that uh, others then decided to to leave the Episcopal Church and and they found shelter under Rwanda as well as some other places, but. Not long ago, when he was asked, why do you love Rwanda so much? Quig responded and said, because they first loved us. For you. When all you can see in yourself, your circumstances and other people, weighs you down with depression, lift your eyes to Jesus and give him praise for his eternal salvation. Give him thanks 
because he loved you first. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.